0: Hello and welcome to A History of the United States, Episode 40 Dutch Conquests. Remember that this is a listener supported podcast, and one of the best ways of supporting it, without paying anything, is to leave a review on iTunes. Most listeners use iTunes to access podcasts, and leaving a review is a great way to let other people know that you enjoy the show. It also pushes the show. Up the charts so that more people can hear about it. You just need to find the show on iTunes, and then click the Write Review button. You don't actually have to write a review, you can just do it by leaving stars if you want. It takes about 30 seconds, doesn't cost you anything, and is a great way to show your support. In our last episode, we explored the history of the new Sweden colony along the Delaware River. After brief enthusiasm for the venture, it found itself stranded and a very long way away from home. New Sweden struggled for funding and for settlers. The governor, John Prince, a disgraced army officer, was trying his hardest to hold everything together, but his authoritarian stance alienated a great deal of the population. Foreign affairs were not going much better. The Swedes had sided with the Dutch against the English, but that relationship was beginning to strain. This is where we left things last time, in 1653. The Director General of New Netherland, at this point, was Peter Stuyvesant. It was a position he gained in 1647, and he would hold it until 1664. He was just as large a personality as Prince, and his arrival in New Amsterdam changed the nature of the Dutch Swedish relationship as it developed into something more hostile. Stuyvesant started making noises that the Delaware was Dutch rather than Swedish. Prince objected to this strongly, which really annoyed Stuyvesant. This is when events took a military turn. Stuyvesant sent an armed ship up the Delaware to a site a few miles away from Fort Christina. This was followed by a flotilla of smaller ships. He made a deal with the Indians to secure some land, and then constructed a fort in the centre of Switch territory, less than 15 miles away from Fort Christina. This was named Casimir. Prince objected, and Stuyvesant just ignored him. By April 1653, 23 Dutch families had moved there, and there was nothing that Prince could do about this. 1653 was also the year that domestic problems erupted. 22 colonists, a mixture of Swedes and Finns, delivered to Prince, and by proxy Queen Christina, a list of 11 grievances. These included brutality restrictions on trading, and restrictions on access to resources. Prince saw this as treachery, and decided that the ringleader was a common soldier, Anders Johnson. He was arrested, tried by a military court, and then executed by firing squad. And he then considered the matter put to rest. But what really happened was that he lost the trust of the settlers, he felt that he had served his country well, and perhaps for a combination of these reasons, he decided to return to Sweden with his wife, four daughters, and 25 colonists. He left behind in control his daughter, Armagat, and her husband, Johan Papagoja. His regime did not get off to an auspicious start, with 15 colonists immediately defecting to Maryland. But... His time in charge was only short until the replacement could be sent over. And for that, we need to go back to Europe. Things were beginning to calm down in Sweden. Their wars were over, and so military recruitment dropped, creating potential migrants. Those most interested were the Finns, seeing New Sweden as a land of opportunity greater than they were ever likely to receive in Sweden itself. They managed to attract hundreds of settlers, and the man selected to lead them was Johan Rising. Rising was a protege of Oxenstierna. He'd been a public servant, and had most recently served as secretary of the Commercial College of Sweden. He was very optimistic, and had been promised supplies to turn New Sweden into a great commercial power. Despite his high hopes, the colony was doomed from the moment he arrived on the Delaware in May 1654. This was because, as he sailed upriver on his way to Fort Christina, he spotted the Dutch Fort Casimir. It was weakly guarded the garrison was made up of nine men who lacked effective weapons and who were no match for Swedish musketeers. The garrison surrendered and defected to Sweden. Casimir was renamed Trinity. Stevesant had set up Casimir after Prince had refuted his claim that the Delaware should be considered Dutch territory. The Dutch could build a fort there if they wanted, no matter what sovereignty the Swedes claimed. There was nothing they could do about it. The Dutch were the more powerful state. And there was nothing the Swedes could do about it. They were the junior side in this partnership, and they had better remember that. So, I hope you realise how bad an idea capturing this fort was, and how that helps explain why the colony did not last 16 months. Rising had a lot of work to do. The colonists had no trust in the government, relationships with the Indian tribes could be better, and there was a need for economic development. He first settled the new arrivals, and tried securing food supplies for them from New England. He expanded Swedish land, hoping to prevent the English in the Chesapeake from encroaching. Importantly, the land that Rising distributed was given away permanently. It wasn't a temporary grant. He tried to make the government more open and accessible, and he tried bringing the Dutch into the fold, hoping to keep them from returning back to Manhattan. There were conflicts with the Indians. This was unavoidable. But without the combative prince, relations improved. Trade became more open, and he managed to secure a block of land from the Susquehannocks, which was rather sizeable, 250 square miles, which gave the Swedes access to the Chesapeake. Things were suddenly looking coherent, as though it was coming together to form a real colony, not a smattering of settlers who wanted to be anywhere in the world other than there. Things perhaps could have gone well had he not offended the Dutch, taking Casimir was a huge mistake. When the next supply ship came, it accidentally wound up at New Amsterdam rather than at Fort Christina, and rather than returning the ship, Stavacent just took it, and refused to listen to the protests of rising. But this was only the start. In 1655, Stavacent left Manhattan and arrived in late August on the Delaware. The Swedes had 75 soldiers and armed farmers. The Dutch had 317 soldiers and seven armed ships. Trinity, Casimir, whatever you wish to call it, instantly defected to Servaisant's forces. Rising prepared to make a last stand at Fort Christina while Servaisant surrounded them. Rising made a plea to Servaisant that they make peace through negotiation in Europe. Sweden and the United Provinces were allies, and they didn't want to cause huge complications for their countries back in Europe through a drastic act in the colonies. Stevesant replied that he had orders to destroy New Sweden and claim the territory. They ravaged the lands for three weeks while conditions inside the fort worsened. Rising realised now that all was lost, and he came to terms. They were favourable to the Swedes, as the Dutch were preoccupied with the war with the Indians around Manhattan. But New Sweden, from this point, ceased to be an independent colony. And it, along with its 600 or so inhabitants, became a part of New Netherland. Something which we really should get back to. We only offered a vague history of New Netherland before I decided to conduct this detour, so I'll recap, sort of. What we covered before was more of a thumbnail sketch than a coherent narrative, and that's what I'll begin to work on for the next few episodes. Some of the early stuff in this recap, probably until 1624, will all be familiar. Some of the later stuff may have already been said, but this time around, bearing in mind all we've said about New Sweden, should make a bit more sense. So, let's begin. You'll recall that the Dutch became interested in sailing to America, particularly with respect to the fur trade, once they were no longer able to trade with the Spanish. They wound up in the area around the Hudson, following the expedition of the Englishman Henry Hudson. Eventually, the Dutch West India Company was created, and it set up several settlements in the colony of New Netherland, the most important of which were Fort Orange, the future Albany, and New Amsterdam, the future New York City. There was growth, but it was too slow for the Dutch merchants. Between 1624 and 1628, New Netherland exported 31,024 beaverskins and 3,097 otterskins, for a combined value of 225,495 florins. This sounds quite good, at first, but the value of goods imported to the colony was 110,895 florins. That was half of all profits. The other half was pretty much wiped out by overheads, cost of transport, cost of setting up the colony, etc., it seems that the investors were left with either very little profit, or none at all. Meanwhile, those in the colony itself didn't have enough supplies. We've seen how long it took all of the colonies to become truly self-sufficient, but the Dutch West India Company thought that New Netherland would be able to manage it in just two years. When it didn't, and more supplies were not sent they were forced to trade their meagre possessions. It was in this context that the company turned to creating patroonships, the small feudal settlements which someone could receive if they brought over 50 people. They would be able to conduct trade as long as it was on the North American continent between Newfoundland and Florida, and as long as they paid a 5% commission to the company. The big issue with it was the restriction on fur trade. They could only trade furs where the company had no agent, which is a rather ambiguous phrase. This was an attempt to increase the size of the colony and investment into it, since by 1628, New Netherland still had a population which was smaller than 200. This did nothing to encourage individual migration to the region. The trade restrictions were problematic and the history of the colony suggested that it was high risk, low profit. Basically, nobody took them up on the offer. The only patroon ship to have any sort of success was the one set up by Fort Orange, by Clien van Reslinar, which became known as Rensselaer, which and I'm sure Wenzelawich is not how it's supposed to be pronounced, so I'm sure someone can correct me in time for the next episode. He had a long history with the company, and in the region, and was prepared to make a long-term investment in the Patroonship, and it would make most of its profits after Ran Wenzelawich died. While, at the time, the Patroonships were the most visible aspect of reform, Of ultimately far more importance was a minor regulation, which said that a settler could travel at their own expense, and would be granted as much land as they could work. But the terms for this were particularly ungenerous, meaning that nothing really advanced during the 1630s. In 1638, the States General pushed the company to make more land available. This was done again in 1639, with added emphasis on citizens from friendly states. This would lead to a far-reaching reform which would transform New Netherland. But we'll save this for next week. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then remember you can visit the website, thehistoryofpodcast.com, if you want more information or to sign up for membership. You can like us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast, follow me on Twitter, at History Jamie, and you can send me an email, thehistoryofpodcast at gmail.com. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.